I believe that this retreat has a title. Um, tell me if I'm wrong. I haven't read it for a while, the IMS program, but I think it's called Embodying the Awakened Heart. Is that right? <clears throat> did, did you know that when you signed up? Um, because it has that word at the beginning, embodying the awakened heart. So if you're sitting here thinking you'll strangle me if I say the word body one more time, <laughs> I understand. It's a, it's a, it's a hefty prospect. It's a, it's, a, it's a big ask. But bear with us a little longer because body is on the map while we're here, <laughs> Right? in this gap between being thrust into existence somehow, in the gap between that and when we have our last out-breath, body is here. It's a question at the very least, and at very best it may become an organism, an instrument of awakening, of perception that is freeing. So bear with us. If, if the concept body is initially taking you into a territory that you would rather not attend to, this is normal. And I'll hopefully speak a little bit about that tonight. <clears throat> so I was thinking about the chant that we began last night, the four divine abidings, the four heart qualities, Remember the one we chanted in Pali, if you were here last night? We'll, we'll, we'll get it as the week goes on. We'll gather more body for that chant. And the intention, as Akinchino said, it's lifted from the text. It is an instruction of how to intend and incline the heart um, with a heart imbued with friendliness, with compassion, with joy, and with equanimity. The English translation, this one uh, uses the word dwells. So here somebody dwells pervading the world one quarter uh, uh, with each of these qualities or abides, dwells pervading the world with these qualities. It's sometimes translated as abides and sometimes it's translated as I will abide pervading the world with loving-kindness, I will abide pervading the world with joy, with equanimity, with compassion. And it strikes me that this capacity to dwell, to abide, is the prerequisite for this possibility of, that the Buddha is speaking to, of radiating um, in all directions uh, the benevolence, the friendliness. So to abide, to dwell, this refers to our location, where we're seated here and now in our location. And you know what that involves? This body. This body, there's a strong correlation between abiding and body. Abiding, as I, I looked it up earlier, and I think it's related to the word abode, meaning home, related to the verb to be to be. So let's abide whatever our good intentions are for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our world, for our own heart-mind. We want to be able to abide a little bit more, a little bit more, and more and more and more into more and more being at home, actually. So Kinchino spoke a little bit about why we practice mindfulness of body. I'll say a couple more things. If you've ever tried, and believe me, I have, didn't know it at the time, tried to follow a disembodied meditative path, it doesn't lead anywhere that helpful. For a time, we could try and just concentrate the mind away, up, and a little bit higher than our bodily ground. And we might get concentrated for a bit. But if we're interested in living our insight, if we're interested in this going deep and wide, 
We need our body, we need our legs, our belly, our flesh, our blood, our bones to actually translate that insight into contact, into relationship, into living, into being human. This embodiment, this translation of insight, this integration of insight happens through the body, not, not just through good idea. Intention is really important here. And this fleshing out, this fleshing out, this plumping out as our awareness, our attention fills out this animal that we are. When we live more head-centric, and I want to really emphasize, and hopefully you know this, but this path is not anti-head or anti-intellect at all. Not at all. It's finding the rightful place for this bright, brilliant capacity of the mind, which the Buddha really had in spades. You know, he had that, he's very, very brilliant. But finding the, the correct alignment of that gift. But when we live more head-centric, it tends to, seems to be, that it's uh, an orientation where we're still trying to seek mastery, control, um, gain some sort of distance and perspective on things which can be useful but never quite intimate, never quite on its own in relationship and at worst is dominating um, and trying to extract things as Ian and I spoke about last night for me and mine to further my particular agenda. Some of the benefits, there are many listed uh, I didn't bring the list with me, but the ones I remember from the teachings are probably because this was particularly relevant to me. One of the benefits of practicing mindfulness of body is that fear and dread will not assail you. Right? Fear and dread will not assail you. And you think, oh, great, that would be nice, right? Even though for some of us, and I bet this, I know it's true for some of you today. Um, that as we make an effort to come into body, more fear and dread assails us, right? And that may be the case on the way, on the way home, so to speak. So don't, don't measure the, what arises here. Don't measure that uh, against this sort of end goal as it's presented of fear and dread not assailing us. It's actually very common as we dare courageously to feel our foot on the ground and let go. A little louder. Thank you. Slipping off my... Oh, yeah, I can hear that's better, isn't it? Right. Keep telling me if it... If it slips again. Disappeared. Disappeared again? I had this problem a couple of years ago, I remember. Put it on the other ear. <laughs> Put it on the other ear. You think that would be a better ear? Do you think so? And I'm going to give this one more try and then I'll go for your option. Let's try that. Okay, how's that? Good enough at the back? Yeah? Okay. can't remember where that sentence was going, but it's something about fear and dread. So anyone that knows, any, anyone here not know anything about fear and dread? If we're interested in something really um, really, really where the Buddha's pointing this to us to, that the more embodied we come with our attention, this actually leads towards the resolution of some of our fear of having a body in the first place, some of our fear of pain, our fear of what might assail us. Is that still okay? No. Okay. All right, I'll go for the other ear option. If I don't manage this option, then I'll go for the technical help option. Have someone come help me. Right, let's see how that goes. Okay, any good? Yeah, there's one person in the back who's, sen- who's clearly sensitive. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Another huge benefit, and it's related clearly, is 
the practice of equanimity or the, the quality of equanimity, which is one of these divine abidings, that it seems very clear that the more we uh, plump out, fill out our location, the more rooted we are to ground to earth, that the storms that rage at the surface, at the top of the mountain, up here, our inner, inner storms, the outer storms, there's more ground, there's more abiding, there's more dwelling, such that we're not necessarily rocked in the same way by those storms. Doesn't mean we can't respond to those storms, actually gives more possibility to respond. Right? But there's some grounded presence that lets the storm raging be seen as such without us going anywhere. Another benefit is we come as we, and, and you know this probably from moments or from long practice or um, maybe sometimes when you're out in nature, if you've relaxed, if that's somewhere where you relax, that your perception opens up. As we become more embodied, a different way of knowing the world is available. A different way of knowing um, where we, without trying to, know our connection with things. It's more intimate with the world. We're more intimate with the world. This embodied knowing that includes our head. Well, we're not making it, we're not taking the head off here. It, the head is part of the body, right? But this embodied knowing is uh, more emotionally rich and textured, is perceptually rich, has a capacity for more meaningfulness to be able to be felt, felt meaning. Not just meaning from the head, but meaningfulness where our felt read, R-E-A-D, our felt read on... um, with perception, is actually uh, strikes us deeply. We're affected in ways that are meaningful for us. And it feels, the perception from more body, embodied perspective, feels more sacred. Our, our sense doors open up to a more sacred perception of the world and of things. So by body bearing with that word, noticing what happens if you've already had enough with body. Not the body that we think we have. Not the body that we think we have based on concepts of me and my body. Not that body. Or based on the images of the body that I sort of reflect back to myself. Not not that body. It's the body that we come to know when we have the courage to descend. For most of us, it's to descend and surrender to ways of knowing that may be less familiar to us. Ways of knowing body as body that are known through felt, touch, sensing, Feeling out, feeling out those sensations in your feet. Don't underestimate how two moments of feeling out the sensations of your feet, while it may not look earth-shattering, and your mind will say, how is this going to help me in my relationship? How's this going to save the world? How's this going to sort my mind out? Don't underestimate. This is actually huge, because in that moment, as you descend and let yourself feel out through the pad of your foot, you're courageously letting go of your anchors, our normal anchors of conception, of ideas about ourselves and each other, of our way of orienting with the whole landscape to make sure that I'm safe or well-liked or not going to be hurt. or You can feel the courage. We're letting go of that right into the immediacy of something that doesn't give us the feedback that we're great, doesn't give us the feedback that we're terrible, doesn't tell me a whole lot about who I am. Excuse me. (coughs) 
but starts to tell me something in a different language. Starts to tell me, give me knowledge through a doorway that many of us have uh, gotten shaved off our ways of knowing. In, particularly in modern culture, that this way of knowing through the body is not so valued, not so highly valued. There are other ways of knowing we've developed strongly that have had many gifts, but certain ways of knowing have gotten curtailed and lost, somewhat. This body, as we descend, doesn't yield its intelligence often as quickly as sometimes we might get, if we want to know something and we read a book and we open the page and write, I see it, and I, oh yeah, I get it, I know it, good, got it. Usually the read, R-E, I had to say this a few weeks ago, somebody, when I said a felt read, they were with this sort of clarinet image. <laughs> so it was a, it's a felt read, right, that kind of read. The felt read is um, slower initially, not so neatly boxable as we can like things, and yet really worth staying with the read, lingering longer right there with the end of your out-breath. Linger, linger, linger. Let the body come to you. Let it be known. Let yourself read. Let the body be read. As if you were reading a sacred text, something that you're not just trying to fix or sort out or try and make less pain or try and make it better or look better, but something that is unfathomable, actually. Can't, you know, we have our maps of the body, our anatomy, and all of the ways that helps. We have ideas about atoms and cells, we have new interesting quantum ideas, beautiful, all have a place, but none of them will be the final read, the final read. It's unfathomable, actually, but unfathomable does not mean not amenable to relationship. We can dive in to a relationship with this clay that we are, this clay that has grown tall, as I mentioned yesterday, from a uh, it's a line in a poem by Wilfred Owen, who was a poet um, uh, on the battlefields in Normandy in the First World War in Europe. And uh, he has a, a really poignant poem where he's, he's with, and we have a lot of this at the moment in Europe because it's a hundred years since this war, particular war. And... Um, yeah, he has an image of these young men on the battlefields. And, and probably most of you know some of that history or a lot of that history of that awful carnage and, and many things I could say about that war. But one of his images, he's, he's speaking to his, some of his companions there in front of him, speaking of them. And he's talking about our evolution as material beings you know, of stars and galaxies and the whole process. And he said, was it for this that the clay grew tall? Was it for this? Right. So this clay grown tall, how would it be if we were to relate to this Maybe the language of sacred text doesn't speak to you. Maybe the language of clay grown tall may. But there'll be a language for you that helps you, and maybe you know it already, that lets you into a felt relationship. Sometimes because we have no other choice left to us, our mind is driving us crazy. right? And we do it out of sheer desperation. Help. Help me with this, right? Or something might be coming up for us in our life, in our life of exploration, where we realize we need more ground. We need more support. We need more earth. We need more and newer perceptions and conceptions of body. Right? 
find them because if we relate to body, if we're conceiving as body as something that is either going to support me or, or hinder me in my main aim in life, which is whatever it happens to be in any one moment, right? it's either going to support me or hinder me. And I have to sort of, what kind of attention will we bring to the body? If it's some sort of encumbrance or some kind of thing I have to drag along, I have to feed, I have to soothe, I have to put it to sleep, I have to, I have to make sure it's had enough of this and sort of drag it along a little bit more. And what kind of relationship do we have from that conception of body? And what kind of relationship might we have if we bow with a humility of, actually, I don't know fully what this is for, but I offer my practice to all beings. That I can trust. I place myself in refuge. Okay, I'm going to do the practices. I'm going to hear the instructions. I'm going to give it my best shot. Let me see where this goes. Let me see if this can be a basis of a blessed adventure. But it's not always easy to make this descent or for some of us to gather ourselves in from feeling a little flitty, flighty. It's, it's hard. And there are reasons that it is hard. And it's nobody's error or fault that is hard. And each of us has different shaping of what can make that more or less difficult or easy. And all of that needs respect. And understanding. Some of it's generic and universal. It's hard sometimes to be willing to come deeper into body to feel our feet on the floor because some of us are somewhat ambivalent about bodies. Are you ever ambivalent? Like when you wake up in the morning and there it is again. It's like, here it is again. No, ambivalent. I, didn't, I don't remember asking for this. I don't remember asking to be thrust out in that. I, 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 maybe you didn't, you weren't thrust out. I think I, I heard from my mum that I came out pretty quick after many others. I mean, not at that moment, but after, after many others. Right. But, but somewhere or another, there is, there is that kind of, you know, unstoppable force of nature, isn't there? It's like, wow, there it is. Poof. Didn't ask for this. Not that I remember some narratives tell me I might have done, but I sure don't know about that. Right? And then at some point, this goes. And there is something irrevocably, um, irrevocably finished at death. And that's the body. Right? Whatever our views, beliefs, knowing anything... There is something about that that is irrefutable. And sometimes the ambivalence can be... We're ambivalent about handling this situation. No, and I know for some people in this room that you have lost loved ones this year or a number of loved ones or if not this year, in other years. But for some in this room, there are many. And, and one of the things that's so stark about that is that that bodily life is not animated anymore. That's one of the markers. It's really clear. I, my dear mum died last year and sitting with her in that process and at that point, it's so clear. Something has changed forever. And just a few months ago, we and my brothers uh, buried her ashes 
underneath a little turf in this little sensory garden in this little monastery near where I live. And the gardener just lifted a turf for her. And we all sung some songs and poured her mortal remains under this little turf and returned the turf. And breathing, just check if you're breathing, right? Because it can be uh, one of the features of a modern view for all of the gifts that we have gained is that somehow the dying is on an error. And sometimes it's tragic and too soon and too early But if we keep breathing, if we're willing to do this courageous, courageous journey of coming further in, filling this out so we can know, get closer to know what the Buddha has shown us, says is knowable for us. So the body on one level is unreliable in terms of being a final place that I can put my feet up and say, good, here I am, done it, this is me. Because this that comes about as body is also dissolved at some point, is also turned to ashes at some point. But if we try then to rise above this conundrum and not embody this as home, even if it's not an ultimate me, home, if I rise above and don't take this as my abiding, as my dwelling, as a place to live more fully from, I'm bereft. I lose belonging. I feel isolated. I lose relationship. I come out of the world. We're kind of in a... It's like, okay, so what will we... What will we choose? Where, where might we deliberately bring our attention? What can we deliberately check, train? What can we really turn our heart and mind toward that is reliable? And if we come for refuge in practices, then we look at the teachings. We follow the teachings, first foundation of mindfulness. If you want to go deeper, if you want to know freedom, come to body. Come establish this as basis, as ground, as fruit, as fruition. All of that. Establish this. So just check where you are with your body right now in the listening. Just check if you have your breath right now. Check if you have your bum on the seat, your backside, your buttocks. Don't underestimate it. It's not very glamorous in terms of giving us reflections or images, but it's here and it leads onward if we're willing to train our attention to come in so I want us to do an exercise a little uh, together in training a couple of uh, <clears throat> things. Um, so let's start with this one. That seems to be where I've got. Let's stay, stay seated for a moment. Um, and just wiggle your, wiggle your backside a little bit. So you're really kind of nestling in as if you were, a, as, if you, as if you are a little animal, because we are, right? Uh, the kind of animal that nestles in to its little nest, right? With your backside. But do it with the backside leading. So don't lead from up here. It's like, okay, now I'm supposed to be like a mouse. or Right? Not like that, but more as if the bottom was leading, right? It's like, oh, yeah, my bum's found the cushion. It's going to nestle itself home. You know, like uh, what kind of animals do that? <coughs> Human animals, <laughs> right? Human animals. Just went thinking of my, whether my cat does that or not. Not whether she hasn't got much of a 
backside. But she's, yeah, but there's something in that, isn't it, where that felt intelligence through the body can kind of lead the way a little bit. Okay. And two factors of attention I want to highlight that we're going to develop more as the days go by that support us. Um, in the traditional in Pali, named as Vitaka and Vichara. Vitaka is the capacity of the mind to point towards something and frame it up, meaning I'm deciding to bring my attention to the bum touching the seat. Right? That's my agreement, that's my topic, and that's the frame. I'm not going to attend to things outside that. This is my deal. Right? So it gives a kind of protection. It's like a frame around something. That's the agreement. The second, vichara, is once we've got in the frame, just for a second, right? Well, I'm here, I can feel, I can feel the softness. What can you feel? What lets you know that your bum is touching the cushion right now? Anyone? What lets you know that directly? Pressure, pressure right? You can sense pressure. Anything else? There's a, you can sense contact. Yeah, anything else? You can sense the hardness of the bones. Yeah. Okay. So there's the contact. Vichara is, can you linger? Can you read this felt read? This sustaining your attention there just a little bit longer. Let the breath come. So we've guided the attention to the bum, backside. And you're going to linger slower, slowing it down. Letting maybe the attention spreads out a little bit. Nothing, probably, probably for most of us, nothing dramatic. Might be unpleasant, might be pleasant, might be neutral. Can you linger just a little bit longer? Can you sustain? And can you wait long enough? You've made the agreement. The Vitaka points, it frames it up, it protects my intention. I'm not going off somewhere else right now. And then I linger. Keep reading as if your flesh right there can read and know the experience. It's not as flashy as the mind, usually. It's not as emotional as emotions. It can be sensation. And we can develop that capacity to linger we get more interested in what's not so dramatic or bright or flashy or pulling us. And this can start to spread. Check it out right now. Maybe the lens of your attention can spread a little bit, widen out from the buttocks, open a little bit wider into the body, and yet your buttocks, your flesh, your sit bones can still be center ground. And maybe then your breath can come, as if you're being breathed up from the ground upwards. (coughs) Breathing in and breathing out. So I'm going to invite us to stand and in a moment, but I'm, I'd like to guide you into that. And we'll, we'll, I just want us to explore together another way we can look at that lens. We've been speaking about how attention can focus in on a particular thing, right? Feel the pad of the foot on the floor. And attention beca- can become very, very wide, right? And what we're, one of the things we're training, in a sense, is that muscle. Uh, because without training, our capacity to focus, what happens to it? 
what happens to the backdrop, what happens to the wider field of things when your attention focuses in so tight on something, when it's not trained. I'm sure you all know. It's, there's a story, um, who was it? Maybe, maybe a, somebody told this story where I was teaching recently. How's the sound there at the back? Is it okay? Um, of a young woman on her cell phone who was so focused in, right, but had completely lost her relational sense all around her that she walked into a fountain, right? I don't think it was a tragic story, but these, these are, you know how this works, right? Our attention kind of hones in so much we lose the backdrop. Or the other uh, untrained piece is that our attention gets so wide and so kind of diffuse that we lose crispness, clarity, precision, definition, right? And we're a little bit, we're nothing much bothering me, but I'm a little bit vague, (laughs) right? Ah, this is spacious. No, it's vague, right? It's a little vague or loss of crispness. So let's practice that a little, and we'll come to standing. And um, as you come to standing, see how you're treating your body. Is it something to drag around to do the next exercise? Oh, more mindfulness of body, okay. Let's drag it up. Or can it be something that right there in the standing, you make that um, your altar, your place of homage, your place of reverence, of respect? So let's stand. So um, let the knees be soft and come to this pad of the foot right in the center there as if that, as if there were a little spot there that could give you a root right down into the earth, deep into the core of the earth. So the vitaka, this is my frame, this is where I'm going to attend for the moment. And vichara, lingering, hanging out, spreading, feeling out that territory of the pads of your feet. Is it hard? Is it soft? And waiting long enough, waiting long enough for the breath to come. So you're not having to do the breathing. And wait and let your body be breathed. As if from the ground up. And then this exercise is firstly to zone in on the pad of the foot, firstly, like that's that little area there. That's where I'm going. Got it? You sense it? And you can wiggle, you know, you can feel, you know, do what you need to, to know that the contact is happening. And now, with that staying as center ground, widen the attention without losing the pad of your foot as center ground. So that's like the bullseye in the middle of the archery thing, whatever they call that. Right? You've got the pad in the bullseye and you're widening that field out to your rest of your body, perhaps, to your breath. But you're not going to the breath as primary because you've made an agreement with yourself for the minute. Yeah, center is the pad. But I'm aware of the breath. Can you sense that possibility? It might not be possible. It might be that, you know, we need practice to do this. I don't think, you know, it's a lot of years of practice, I think, before I had any sense of this. But I... It may not be, it may not take you long at all. You may know this very well. 
can you let the pad be center ground and start to know other experiences are around in that field, the wider field, but I'm not choosing to pick them up deliberately. There's breath, there's probably coolness. What else? What else is in your wider field right now that you know is there, but you're not picking it up as foreground? That was a rhetorical question this time. The hum. The breath, maybe. Maybe there's a pain in your shoulder or calf muscles might be getting a bit stiff. Fine, include that. But know what it is that you're agreeing with to attend to and what is not in the frame. Let the breath come so that your focal gazing, your uh, primary attention isn't narrowing down, isn't tightening your diaphragm or belly. Right? You know the pad of the foot directly. And then just briefly the other way around. Meaning from a wider field, sometimes our attention is wider. We've been walking down the corridor and we're aware of the people around us and we're quite wide. We come into the meditation room and we see everybody and we take our seats and we decide we're going to meditate and I'm going to attend to my breath, my breathing. So I have the wider field, I slowly come in and I let the breath become foreground. It kind of emerges, I've decided to let it emerge as the primary place of attention, but I don't have to tighten around it. I don't have to grab it with my attention. I don't have to narrow actually anything to let it stand out. Letting breathing just for a moment be foreground without you losing the wider field. And just linger, practice vichara lingering with the breathing right to the end of the out-breath. That felt. Read. And that lingering as we develop it can start to spread. Attention can fill out in the body, just a little bit more. And that can be beautiful. So when you're ready, come to sit. Before I finish, I want to just say a couple of things that might be helpful if you're struggling with body at all. And I'll say a little bit more tomorrow morning about working with pain. But uh, firstly, for some of us, depending on certain conditions of our life, coming into body initially can feel overwhelming. It can uh, bring up bring a lot of pain. Sometimes the nervous system can feel too too aroused. Like I get a little bit more scared or too much. Can't go then we find the mind pinging off very, very fast. Firstly, you're not alone. Um, it's really not uncommon. 
It's very hard to sustain that vichara sense. Some, sometimes for some of us it's just habit. We're just not used to being in the body. But we also need to respect when the conditions of the body mean the nervous system gets very, very highly aroused initially. So a couple of things that can help that. Um, if you find that with our instruction that this is happening, a lot of fear and dread, coming to the peripheries, the feet and the hands... Uh, can be very helpful for many people. So often our uh, strong emotions or strong nervous system reactions happening in this central core area, right? So sometimes it's not skillful to come in too close. So come, bring your attention to hands. It's not a lesser practice. You're not on remedial education. It's skill. What we're learning is skill. We're not actually... Wisdom is about skill. Wisdom is about knowing what's needed now. The Buddha is a skillful one. Right? We're learning skill. So coming to the hands, are they okay? Do they feel safe enough right now? Can I linger long enough to sense these rich nerve endings, the pulsing, the vibrating, the throbbing. Can I sense with my hands on my thighs where the palm of my hand ends and my thigh begins? Can I come to my hands? Can I come to my feet? Maybe I need to stand up in my sitting practice. Maybe I need to put my hands to the ground and touch the ground, like modeled by the Buddha image behind me, touching the ground, plugging into a bigger circuitry where we're not this little separate one that's got to manage all of this on my own, plugging in to a wider body, the bigger body, right, feet, and hands. Sometimes it's not feet and hands, sometimes it takes some experimentation for you to find out where you can come that feels safe enough where you can develop attention of vitaka, vichara and lingering. And slowly it gets safer, it gets workable, it becomes something we start to get a little bit more faith that it's really okay to be here. It's really okay to really let my weight come into the pad of the foot and my out-breath. Right? And we develop faith, actually, in the process, in our capacity. So try that out if that's relevant to you. If that's relevant for you. And I wanted to offer one more point for anyone, if it feels then still too much at times, and it's not going to necessarily be all the time. Um, And I want to let you know something that one of my students found really helpful with body, mindfulness of body. And she was in a phase of her practice where some really difficult things were arising, and she she couldn't come close with her attention to the body. It was too, too, too hard to bear. Initially, and she could just about feel the contact of the foot on the ground at times with support. Um, and what she found over time, what she did, and uh, where she lives, and she said she's fine with me sharing this. She uh, went up on some of the national park near where we live, where there's wild ponies. Now, you can't do this right now, right? Mm-hmm. but th- you can translate whatever's relevant here, and it doesn't have to be nature. We're all really different in what supports us, but for her, and I don't think she was a horsey person initially. You know, It wasn't like she'd grown up with that kind of perception. And she said that she went every day to the herd, and there, as some of you probably know, I didn't know this, but horses are herd animals, so they always think in groups. They've got that part of the attention. They think in collectives, and they have different functions and roles, and they kind of have a sense of who's there and who's not there. And, 
And she said that going every day, because it's all the only thing she could do at a certain point, um, every day she went there, she had to stop work for a bit. Every day she went there and she just stood and stood and stood until at a certain point they started to recognize her and include her in their gaze. And certain of the horses have that function that they're looking out for people or look, looking out for other horses. Um, in this case, looking out for her, um, that she becomes one of them in their perception in that time. And she and she's recounted this, and it was remarkable what happened for her. So it was over a period of weeks and months that she would then uh, be able to lay down, they would come to her. But but the point for her practice, as the beauty of all that is, and the beauty of the image perhaps of it, is that in the gaze of the herd, and this is a non-human herd, right, she felt she was being seen. She felt, we've got you. That was her sense of it. We've got you. We've got you. Right? And she said, in that perception, something in her breath and her nervous system Right? Someone else just did it with me. <laughs> yeah. Her nervous system could start to soothe. What this meant when she wasn't with the horses, because she couldn't live outside on Dartmoor, is, and we practiced it together, is that she would call in that image just at the beginning of sitting, just at the beginning. The gaze of these, however many there were, around her, near her. She just would bring that in. Vitarka, that's her, her idea. That's the topic, just for a minute. Vichara, she lingers long enough to get the felt read of what happens when she immerses herself in that perception. She stays long enough with the image it doesn't mean it happens every time, but very often she gets that read of, we've got you. And something in her, you can visibly see, goes, Horses for you, you may be with trees, you may be with each other. But something about that wider otherness that we're in constantly in relationship with that takes different forms as animals, as trees, as each other. Can be skillfully attended to because one of our erroneous conceptions I would posit in our modern view is that, in our modern meditator's view even, is that I'm here doing my practice in this body trying to get free. And it gets airless and tight and loses the joy. The, earlier this year, I was in a conference in London called The Heart of Silence. And it was um, exploring the place of silence in contemporary culture. And one of the speakers was um, a man an Irish man who had been in captivity back in the 80s in the Lebanon uh, called Brian Keenan. And he had written, he had five years underground uh, in really, really difficult conditions. A lot of it was in the dark at certain uh, parts of those years. And he wrote a book when he came out called An Evil Cradling, uh, which is quite a remarkable book. 
And he underwent, obviously, a huge, huge, huge journey in that time. A lot of it terrible, but clearly. uh, And there's a lot of his insight that comes from it. And he was one of the speakers at this conference. And he um, told a story about that. He told us a little bit about that. I had read the book. Um, But a lot of it was in silence, a lot of it in forced silence, um, not chosen. But he also saw a lot. So he said many years later, in fact it was a few years ago, he, he, there was something about that silence that as awful as it had been in that, those conditions, there was something that was drawing him back to silence. And he wasn't formally a contemplative, you know, such that that would be a normal part of his life. And he said, but this time I'm going to choose the silence. Right, this time I'm going to choose the silence. And he went, and I think it was Alaska, um, to, to the big open expanses and the, 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 the white, white silence, white snow. Um, and he said in terms of these kinds of things I was just speaking about, about the sense of body in relationship, he said in that silence, he initially started walking um, and I, he was on his own, and he said he was terrified. <laughs> he said he was really scared, and some of where his mind goes when he's scared, he, he, he said, is that I have the sense I'm, gonna, I'm being looked at. Something's looking at me, right? And you can imagine that that sense was there also from some of his experience, that it's not, not safe, not safe. And he said, as I stayed with that, And he didn't speak in the same language of feeling his feet on the floor, (laughs) his pads of feet on the floor. But as he walked further into the silence, he said, that perception, that fear changed from the sense of something's watching me to something is watching over me. He said something shifted as he gave himself into that process This time he'd chosen it, as each of us have chosen this in a certain way. He gave himself deeper into the silence and what initially came as that terror or fear shifted in perception to him in relationship with, and I'm not positing some divine anything in this moment, but into this mysterious relational life that we are constantly in with what is seen, what is not seen, what we know, what we don't know, constantly in relationship. So we practice mindfulness of body because it, we need to, <laughs> because it can be beautiful in and of itself, beautifully plumping out and filling out our presence as a basis for going deeper. So that we might abide and dwell pervading what can be pervaded by a heart that starts to rest. So let's sit for a minute together.
May, <clears throat> may all beings be able to rest deeply on the earth, as earth. May all beings be able to breathe out in safety. May all beings know body as body. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.